Today's reading comes from the book of Acts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was with them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anel. If you can leave your Bibles open to chapter 4 and 5, let's go through it together. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we give you great thanks for your word. We thank you that it's, um, though it's written uh, thousands of years ago, but it's relevant and living and active uh, today. And we pray that you will speak to us, um, cut our hearts and mind, um, that uh, we may see you clearly and we may worship you in all things that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you think of um, when you think of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit? Many might imagine people singing um, spiritual hymns and psalms, praying passionately in tongue, maybe inside into our lives. And these might be the case, but isn't it interesting, actually, what Luke chooses to focus on with the Holy Spirit back in chapter 2 and now in chapter 4 and 5? He talks about the church. How when the Holy Spirit came, 
When the Pentecost came and people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and to uh, evangelism. They became a church. They shared everything. And once again, in chapter 4, last week we heard about the prayers of the persecuted and how they prayed for God and God came and shook the room and, and said, I am with you. And now, as, they're beca- as they've been filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 31, rather than becoming holy individuals who go out living their holy individual lives, they become a church together. They become one in heart and mind in verse 32. Their beliefs and mission became one. We're told in verse 33 that there is great effectiveness in the apostles' preaching, that with great power the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But what Luke really highlights when he talks about the church here uh, in this section is that the church became generous, verse 32. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And take a look at verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all uh, that, that, that were there, to all that were, that were there, there, there was no needy persons among them. Filling of the Holy Spirit didn't remain a spiritual concept. Grace wasn't a spiritual concept. Um, it had a, this nitty-gritty reality of sharing of life together, sharing of money and possessions together. Grace translated uh, uh, into them becoming a gracious community, a generous community. And it's important to remember that this was God's plan all along, that God didn't save us to become, uh, for us to go to heaven. That's not what God saved us for. God saved us so that we might become a new community, a community that was originally designed. And actually, this was prophesied, that that there will be no more needy people among them. This is back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, 4, when Moses delivered people out of Egypt. When they entered into the promised land, God said, that there will be no poor persons among you. For in the land that Yahweh, your your God, is giving you to possess at your inheritance, he will richly bless you. And isn't it interesting how actually that promise is fulfilled? The promise that there will be no more needy persons, no more poor people among them, it's not fulfilled by God adding adding, um, uh, the richness to everybody. It's fulfilled by the community, the people realizing that they had enough to eradicate poverty amongst the community there. So the rich, who had been blessed already, sold the possessions that they had, the lands, houses, fields, time to time, to meet the needs of the community, the people of the community. And Barnabas, son of encouragement, um, uh, is honored in the text by doing precisely that. And we know that this wasn't just a one-off event. In fact, the early church, it, it happened up to the second century because we know that the Justin the, uh, Martyr, uh, the, the early Christian apologist in the second century, he, he writes, We who valued above all things the acquisition of wealth and possession now bring uh, what we have to a common stock and communicate to everyone in need. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is super challenging, And is this actually what we are supposed to do in the 21st century Hong Kong when things are different, when the community is different, when the economic system's different? Are we supposed to sell everything, live in a commune, buy in a whole apartment block, live there, and share everything with each other? Well, 
I don't think that's what this is talking about. But it is, uh, uh, we are supposed to uh, apply this passage to our lives. We must, I think there are certain things, we must work at becoming one together. Becoming a living community that cares for each other. This doesn't mean that we sell everything. It does mean that we start finding, the, uh, uh, finding out what the needs of the church, what the needs of the people in the church are. Instead of striving for independence, which is, I think, sadly, what most of us strive for, so that we can be independent from everybody else. If we're rich enough, we don't have to interact with anybody. We could go off to a buy, um, a buy an island and build a house on my own and just live there by myself. That seems to me the goal of most people. That's not the goal of the church community. We don't strive for independence. We strive for interdependence. We start regarding our own possessions, not as our private possessions, but our communal possessions. We must make sure that grace does not remain a spiritual concept only, but a material one. We need to be on the lookout to, to see who we can, where we can give our money away to. And we need to be on the lookout to give away God's money that we have been entrusted with. And I hate to say this, but actually, this burden particularly falls on the rich, rich amongst, amongst us. But to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes with great responsibilities. This is why Jesus talks so much about money. This is why when you are entrusted with money, there's danger that comes with it, responsibility that comes with it. But it's not just for the rich. I mean, I am rich compared to most of the world standard, and so are most of you. And it's difficult for all all of us. And it's difficult for all of us, once again, because we view ourselves as individuals first. Because we often treat belonging to a club, a gym. Because of the realities of life in Hong Kong, all these things make it members of the church. We are members of the body of Christ. And we must take that corporate identity very seriously. We need to get to know the needs of our body so we could help. And by the way, we need not only to be um, uh, okay with uh, receiving help, but asking for help. We need to set aside our pride. And when we need help, we need to be able to say, I need help from you. I know that's more difficult for um, people. uh, uh, In some cultures, I know that's more difficult. Once again, so, you know, I've actually preached on this a couple of weeks back when we talked about Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, when there's a picture of the community that's given. But once again, I think the right way to apply this is to just ask you to commit to a small group in the church, since that's the only way that we can get to know you. Commit to finding out what the needs of the people in the church are. Needs of the people who live in your apartment block who are members of the church. I know some of you actually live in the same apartment block with some other people who are sitting in this room, but you don't know that that's the case. Find out where people are living. Find out who's going, undergoing surgery, who's overwhelmed by life, who needs help, financial help. Commit to helping. Also encouraged actually this uh, this week when I um, call somebody up um, because I know that this person had been in surgery and I told uh, this person that I would go and visit and it was so encouraging because she told me that somebody in her links group had visited already that I don't need to come I was so encouraged by that and we need to find out what's going on and meet each other's needs 
And if you have been coming to this church for a while, feel free to commit to being a member of the church and finding out what the needs of the church are. Pay attention to the announcements, come to the prayer meetings, and come to the AGM on March 15th. There are many concerns and needs of this church as well. Did you know that one of our needs is, one of the things that the committee has been talking about is that we rent everything from this hall to the classroom, to the staff housing or the church office and everything. And we are, the committee is trying to figure out, make a decision whether to invest in a property, to buy a property. But the decision is difficult because we have enough money to consider buying something, but not enough money to buy something that we can use right away. These are the things that we are talking about. Did you know that we're considering maybe hiring an associate minister to help to run the church and help us to grow in maturity? These are things that you could find out, find out what the needs of the church are and see how you can participate in it. Giving and serving, though, I should say, is not a matter of duty. You don't give because you have to. Um, and though 10% is the guideline that the Bible gives, you give as much as God's grace has been at work in you. And the money should be determined between you and God. Because giving money for the wrong reason is worse than not giving anything at all. And giving for the, uh, money for the wrong reason, as we'll see, uh, is very dangerous. It's a dangerous business. Um, so we're introduced um, to two new characters um, now at this part of the story in chapter 5. We meet Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias means the Lord is gracious, and Sapphira means beautiful. But they, they do not live up to their names. Like Barnabas, they sell their possessions, and they lay the money at the apostles' feet, not for their personal use, but for the communal use. They entrust the apostles to use it how they, how they see fit. But we're, we're not told how much money this was, but it must have been substantial. It was a, a money uh, uh, received by selling a field. But when the money is brought to the apostles' feet, the apostles rebuke Ananias. Peter says to him in verse 3 and 4, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept, them, kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money, money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. I want you to get this uh, straight. The, the problem wasn't that they didn't give um, everything uh, to the apostles and to God. Peter says it was their money before it was sold and also after it was sold. They could have done anything they wanted with that money. The problem was um, that they gave for the wrong reasons. Problem was that they made it appear to have given everything that they received for selling of that land when actually they kept part of the money. And this is made clear again when Peter asks Sapphira, is this the money? Is this all the money that you have received for selling that land? In verse 7. What they really wanted was they wanted the credit and the prestige of having given everything. Being so self-sacrificial in their giving. But they didn't want to sacrifice that much. They didn't have to give it all. Um, but they wanted to pat their own ego. 
They wanted the status. They wanted to appear to have given everything to God. So they, they told a lie as they gave. The problem, I want to say, is in the end, idolatry. They had another God in their hearts. And hypocrisy is a fruit of idolatry. Think about that. We pretend to serve God, but we have another thing that's in the place of God in our hearts. That's idolatry. Whether it's honor and prestige or status, comfort, ultimately ourselves. When we care more about those things than God, when we do things for those reasons than for God, while appearing to care about God, that's hypocrisy. So they pretended to be more generous than they are, to be more spiritual than they are. And they gave money not for God, but for themselves, to pat their own ego. And as Jesus told us, we can't serve two masters. Once again, it's not how much we give uh, to the church or to the needy. There continues to be rich Christians in the church. Those who had extra houses and fields to sell in the early church and as well as now. Presumably, they didn't sell the only house that they had, the only thing of living, that they, a field that they made their living. Presumably, these were extra houses and extra fields that they didn't need time to time. When they saw the need, they sold those and brought it to the apostles' feet. But whenever we give, whether it's a lot or small, we must give for the right reasons. We give not because we are, um, we, mu- uh, we must give because we are motivated, moved by God's grace, because we, uh, we are a family, brothers and sisters in need, because we love the church, because we love God. We can't serve two masters. So, I mean, it's a natural um, question arising out of this text, isn't it? Why do you give? Why do you give? Actually, it's not just giving. It's doing things for the church and doing things for God or doing things. Why do you serve? Why do you give up your time? Why do you spend so much energy in preparing Sunday school lessons, setting up the school, cleaning up, whatever it is, with a solid rock, praying for people, meeting up with people? Why do you do all those things? Because you can do all those things, but do it for the wrong motive. A while ago, um, I did a thing uh, with the Philippines Fellowship on giving. Uh, they wanted to know why we should give to the, to the church. And I tried it uh, carefully because, as you know, uh, Philippines, uh, uh, a lot of domestic helpers do not make much money. Many make bare minimum, which is just over $4,000 in Hong Kong. But when I was done with that session, a couple of people, at least two people, said, uh, came, came to me and said, how can I give regularly to the church? And many other people verbally pledged to give to the church. I didn't ask them to do it. I explained the, 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 the grace that God, has been, uh, that God has poured out upon us, and they asked how they could participate in that giving. We live in a society that only looks at the bottom line, how much. But what this says is that really it's not about the bottom line. If we were about the bottom line, Ananias and Sapphira would have been fine because they gave a lot. They didn't give it all, but they gave most of the money that they had, that they sold. They might even have been recorded as people who were generous if we only looked at the bottom line after all. But God looks at our hearts 
Are we motivated by grace or are we motivated by glory? Peter somehow noticed what the motivation was. I won't know, but you know, and God knows, the Spirit knows. So ask yourself, why do we serve God? Why do we give to God? And of course, the sin against the Holy Spirit is a serious business. Remember Jesus' words back in Luke chapter 12, 12.10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This comes in the context of Jesus warning um, the disciples about the persecutions to come in chapter 12. He, he also says in previous verses 5 and 6, 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw, into, throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The message there is to fear God. Not to fear men, but to fear God. Not to think of what, uh, other people, but to think of God. Ananias and Sapphira cared only for people, what other people think of them. They didn't fear God, what God would think of them. They didn't fear the fact that the Holy Spirit knew what was going on in their hearts. And Peter says so twice in verse 4 and 9. You have not lied to the Holy Spirit, but to God. You have conspired against the Holy Spirit. And the penalty for this, thinking that you can cheat God, in the end, really, that God is not God, is death. And so as soon as Peter pronounces this sentence, his sentences, Ananias dies in verse 5. Sapphira is given a chance to repent, uh, but when Peter asked uh, her to tell her, tell him if the money that had been given was the whole money, she lies, and at that moment, verse 10, she fell down and died. I know this is difficult for us. And commentator uh, Howard Marshall says it is difficult for modern, modern years because it introduces us to a world where sin and its penalties are taken seriously. And I agree. We don't live in a world where sin is taken seriously, when the penalties, where the penalties of sin is taken too seriously. The great fear that fell upon those churches do not fall upon us when we take much too often grace too cheaply. But this story would have been familiar to the Jewish audience. This wasn't a new story. This was an old story because this happened before, slightly differently, but all the similarities are there. After the great deliverance of Israel, uh, Israel from Egypt, uh, the fledgling nation of Israel went into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and they, uh, they had victory after victory until they started losing. They lost men. And Joshua in chapter 7 protests. He says to God, God, why have you brought us out so that we can, we can have this death? And God says, God responds in Joshua 7, 11, 12, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied, and they have kept them with their possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. See, what happened 
was that instead of destroying all the things that, um, uh, uh, from Jericho, which they had been commanded to do, a person named Achan took some of the treasures, the plunders, and hid them underneath of, uh, of his tent. He did not fear God, and he thought that he could get away with it. He thought he could bring idols and treasures from this other world into the promised land. And his lies caused the havoc in the community. But he was found out. He could not cheat God, and he was given the death sentence. In a similar way, this new Israel, this is the beginning of this new community, the kingdom of God that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. As this community is beginning its new life, God wants to give a message that he takes sin seriously. We don't normally see people dropping dead these days, but this is a special time of the beginning of the early church, of the kingdom of God coming in a special way. He wanted to make sure that people knew that he was God, that sin is serious, that they ought to fear him. The fear spread within the church, but also to the people outside of the church, that God was God. And later on, Paul will write, these things are uh, written as warnings for us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. And these warnings are necessary because hypocrisy is one of Satan's biggest weapon. Certainly, Ananias and Sapphira's sin was from Satan, wasn't it? He says, in, Peter says in verse 3, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? It is from Satan. And it's really insidious um, because it seems harmless. We think that it's a private sin, but it actually destroys the very thing that the Holy Spirit community, uh, Holy Spirit created, that they were one in heart and mind. They look like they were one, but this hypocrisy destroys the unity. So, once again, we ask do we take sin seriously? I think, as we end, um, I think the only way that we will start taking sin seriously as people who are saved is to take grace very seriously. Think about what grace means. Haven't we all pretended at one point or another to be more spiritual than we actually are? Maybe we've sang louder or prayed longer Um, done that extra service when we really didn't want to, given, uh, 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 give more uh, to appear more spiritual. There is Ananias and Sapphira in all of us. Treasuring of idols and lying to God, that's also in all of us as well. And the point is that we all deserve punishment. Point is that we all deserve death. But instead of death, God through Christ gave us life. Instead of shame, God, through Christ, gave us honor. Instead of what we deserve, God, through Christ, gives us what his son deserves. We've received this great gift. And if we really think about that, how could we not be generous? If we really dwell on that grace, how could we not get our motivations right? And so, once again, this is the picture of a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a church that's generous, that dwells on grace. And, and the grace that comes out in sharing of possessions. And it's not motivated by duty, 
It's not even motivated by fear. It's motivated by grace and the love of God. And it's devoted to God only. God who has been so gracious to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace you have showered upon us. And help us not to take that grace cheaply. Help us to dwell on your grace, that we may know what it means to have received your grace, that we may be a church that is generous. We may be a church that um, worships not, on, not, in, uh, not only in words, uh, but also in action. And help us to see you clearly, that all that we do will be motivated by knowing you, by loving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.